Thank you, William, very much indeed. We start then a, a new series this morning, I Relate, taking our cue over these coming weeks from God himself, will remind ourselves, I hope, that relationships lie at the very heart of our lives. They lie at the very bedrock of the way God has created us to be. In fact, it's a supreme relationship that lies at the heart, not just of our lives, but of this whole universe. In fact, at the heart of God, you might argue, lies not a person, but a community. A set of relationships where God is in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the core of everything lies this triune set of relationships. A relationship that always existed and from which everything else flows and from which every other relationship can be only but a small reflection of the relationship of the universe that gave it birth and origin. And whilst in our fallenness, in our waywardness, we find ourselves so often sabotaging our relationships, the marriage that maybe we don't invest in as much as we should, or the children that we find ourselves too occupied to commit to in ways that maybe we should, the neighbours that remain too distant, the friends that we struggle to keep in touch with and support and so on, whilst in our fallenness we can see the ways in which we neglect our relationships. We all know There's no one here this morning who doesn't know that when the pressure is on, when the things that we are tempted to rely on get stripped away, that it's our relationships that we fall back on. That they are the things that matter more than anything else. We were made tragically and horrifically aware of this when the Twin Towers were hit uh, 11 years or so ago. When people's lives in those moments, in those towers, were horrifically and fatally stripped bare of all the things that people would normally trust. And if people couldn't escape in those towers that day, they were desperate to do one thing, the same thing, desperate to communicate. We read of people that were desperate or hear of people who were desperate to say just one last thing, maybe to a child or to a parent or to a spouse or to a lifelong friend. They wanted to get a message out and it was the same message. It didn't matter who they were or where they were from, what kind of experience they'd had. Everyone in those moments wanted to say the same thing. It was nothing to do with status or achievements, nothing to do with money or business deals, nothing to do with how we look or holidays that we've had or houses that we've lived in or cars that we drive. The message that everyone wanted to give to another person was, I love you. Instinctively, something in the human heart tells us that that matters more than anything else. Similarly, on that hijacked plane, as people knew what was happening, they got on their phones to do what? To talk about why the rubbish hadn't been put out the night before. To talk about why the bath 
still wasn't clean. They didn't mention the bills that needed paying or the shopping that hadn't been done, the price of company shares, the strength of the dollar. It just wanted to say something that maybe they hadn't said enough, something that they wished they'd said a lot more often, something that they knew in those final moments must be said. I love you. When everything else is stripped away, we know what matters most. To know that we're loved, to know that we're somebody. And not surprisingly, because it's a relationship that lies at the heart of the universe. It was a relationship that gave us breath and life itself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The early church, understandably, struggled to work a few things out as they wrestled with what the Bible was teaching about certain key Christian doctrines. And the trouble with several of the key Christian doctrines is that their truth is found at both ends that seem to oppose one another. For example, we believe that Jesus was and is God, one end, and also that he became fully man at the other end. And theologians struggled to work out how to explain it because as soon as they started talking about Jesus being God, it was as if by inference they were denying the fact that he was ever truly a man. And then when they started talking about him being truly a man, it was as if they'd forgotten that he was also God and truth was found at at both ends. And this relationship at the heart of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity is just like that. The truth is at both ends, and theologians really struggled to know how to talk about it. They wanted to be clear that we believe what the Bible teaches. We believe in one God, the creator, the maker of all things. It's a monotheistic religion, believing in one God, coming out of Judaism that showed themselves distinct from all other religions by believing in one creator God. And so some theologians would emphasize that God is is one, the one creator, and yet others would try and work out this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they would begin to talk about Three, and so they were in danger of, uh, of losing the oneness. And you can see that if you emphasize the oneness, you lose the three, because the truth is at both ends. And uh, as a result, it all settled down in about the fourth century, and uh, Western theology went one way, and Eastern theology went another. Uh, Western theology is a tradition that we've received from, heavily influenced by a guy called Augustine who dominated thinking about there being one creator God, and that's absolutely true, and we've got no problem with that. But it meant that perhaps in our heritage, something of the triune, the trinitarian nature of God was lost. And so even now in our churches, we'll hear it being said about one God way more than we'll hear us talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, although of course we do, and of course it's there. But you can see, perhaps, as we begin to think about uh, relationships, the relationship, and our relationships, how rediscovering something of the Trinity is so important for us. God is in relationship. And we're introduced to that fact very early on in the Bible. There in Genesis chapter 1, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Singular, God, one God. But then very quickly, the language becomes most peculiar in Genesis 1 verse 26. Let us, let us, one God, let us, don't know much about Hebrew, two types of plural, uh, plural meaning two, plural meaning more than two. Uh, this is plural meaning more than two. Let us make... What's the writer saying? He's beginning to allude to something that perhaps we can never fully understand, lest we be God himself. But think with me, though, about how the Bible story unfolds. We're going to race right through to the, to the New Testament because I want to emphasize something that, that, that we can be in danger, perhaps, of, of missing because we want to be clear that we believe in one God, and we do. Think of the Christmas story for a moment. Christmas story is not a story about God, but it's a story about a father God sending a God son. For God so loved the world, as we heard some moments ago, that he sent his only uh, son into the world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's about a father that sends a son. Think about the ministry of Jesus. It's not about God doing stuff as much as it's about a son doing his father's work. In fact, Jesus will say, I don't do anything by myself. I just do what the father uh, speaks to me about and leads me in. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Think about the cross. I don't know what you think about the cross. You think it's all about Jesus, but the Bible presents it as Jesus surrendering to the will of the father. Another verse is about the father turning his face away. The agony was for the whole of the Godhead there in those moments. A son surrendering to his father's will. Uh, The resurrection, a father exalting a son. And so on and so forth. And then as the church burst into life and the Holy Spirit is given, we're reminded that the Spirit just doesn't come from nowhere but he comes from the Father and he's sent by the Son. Everyone's involved. And and so as you uh, uh, look at the sweep of the story, we're reminded that what we see is visibly, just in small measure, is this relationship that lies at the heart of everything. This relationship that birthed what we see into being, this relationship that sustains it and enables it and so on. It is the relationship that lies at the centre of everything. We relate because God has related first. But more, our relating only makes sense if we recognise that we relate firstly to him and then therefore to each other. And that's what lies at the heart of communion that we'll share in a few moments. Is that God's saying that if if you want to understand your relationships, there is a primary relationship that you cannot dodge or avoid that you must explore because it is both the source and the feeding and sustaining of all other relationships. That being with God himself. And so when Jesus gets to the end of his ministry and he's praying... He prays some amazing words in John chapter 17. My prayer, Jesus said to his Father, is not for them alone, referring to the twelve disciples. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us 
so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. So at the end of Jesus' life, it's just hours before he goes to the cross, you get this incredible insight, a very personal insight of, of, of Father God, God the Son, Jesus, communicating with his Father, that relationship that had always been unbroken since before time began. And it's a relationship that they're opening to you and to me. It is for me one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. That the God of heaven and earth, who's been in relationship since the beginning of time, should open that relationship to welcome you and me in. To share in the life of God at that kind of level, at that kind of depth, with that kind of reality. This is something quantitatively and qualitatively different from any other religious offer on the planet, actually. That God himself, in a personal way, should open up that relationship for us to connect with him and with it. And not only are we connecting with the relationship, but it's that relationship that brings us life. Now this is, says Jesus a few verses earlier, eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Theologians call this the open trinity. If you and I were God, we might have kept our relationship closed. It's safer that way. It's less painful that way. It makes less demands that way. But no, the God of heaven and earth, the God of love, opens that relationship to invite us in. As he opened his arms on the cross, he was inviting us in. That's why theologians talk about the open trinity. Julian Anna of Norwich, the Trinity is our everlasting lover, or perhaps more familiar, Charles Wesley, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Invited in to the relationship that is at the centre of the universe. Invited into the relationship that gives meaning and makes sense of every other relationship we have and we wish we had the relationship from which life itself flows. It all starts here. The Father loves the Son. The Father loves you through the Son. The Son who gave himself for you, the Spirit that cleanses and restores and renews us and welcomes us, makes it possible. Nicodemus couldn't understand it for all his religiousness. He couldn't understand that, that there was a, a, an utter transformation, a, a new beginning, a new birth that was necessary that would take you in the now and, and catapult you, for want of a better word, into a relationship with the true and living God. You were made to know him. You were made to know him. And if you look to other relationships, earthly relationships, 
And if you look to other things, to do what only knowing him can do, you'll find that you put a weight on those earthly relationships that perhaps they cannot bear. Or will invest a weight on other things in life to meet our needs that they also cannot bear. When all is stripped away, we know that our relationships matter more than anything else. Why? Because it's a relationship that lies at the heart of the universe. And that's where we begin as he invites us to know him in the here and now. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. I'm going to sing in just a moment and then perhaps as uh, the musicians play, we'll just uh, listen to some words of Scripture that remind us of this inviting relationship that God has for us as we'll begin to draw towards sharing communion together.